The Wendigo was gaunt to the point of emaciation. Its desiccated skin pulled tightly over its bones. With its bones pushing out against its skin, its complexion the ash gray of death, and its eyes pushed back deep into their sockets, the Wendigo looked like a gaunt skeleton recently disinterred from the grave. What lips it had were tattered and bloody, unclean and suffering from superation of the flesh. The Wendigo gave off a strange and eerie odor of decay and decomposition of death and corruption. This is a well-known description provided by Basil H. Johnston, an Ojibwe teacher and scholar from Ontario, and one that expertly and aptly captures the physical characteristics that are most commonly associated with the famed Wendigo. There are numerous origins, societies, peoples, and names all related or connected to the Wendigo in one way or another. From ancient tribal peoples to modern cinema and culture, the Wendigo holds a special place in folklore. The name itself, Wendigo, or its many variations, including Wetigo, etc., means the evil spirit that devours mankind. Common among all accounts is that the Wendigo is purely evil, supernatural, and cannibalistic, having once been human after all. Famine, starvation, greed, gluttony, fear, and cold are its most closely regarded allies. Some legends focus more on the speed and cunning of this manhunter, saying it can traverse any terrain at great speeds and is at its most dangerous in the bitter colds of the northern bios. Others focus more on its ferocity and brute strength, able to rip a man's limbs from his torso with nary but a thought. Some versions of this monster's genesis describe it as akin to Bigfoot, yet others place it in the Ware family. While these tales meet a certain need within the niche of folklore and urban legend, they seem to stray from the very real and very monstrous origin from which this legend truly came. Unlike many fiendish cryptids of this ilk, the Wendigo is set apart not only by its cunning as a hunter, despite its decrepit and emaciated form, but also in its skill to lure unsuspecting victims and infiltrate their minds in such a way as to turn them into Wendigo themselves. This is Micah and Chelsea from Icker and Ink, and today we wanted to give you a little insight on one of my favorite monsters, Wendigo. Chelsea, hit us up with some true true. 
The legend is widely known to have begun in the forest of Nova Scotia and the Great Lakes region in Canada and the U.S., specifically Wisconsin, though sightings and some stories have been reported from Minnesota and Michigan as well, and is credited to the Ojibwe, Eastern Cree, Moshkigo, Naskapi, and Inu tribes with its inception. The Wendigo is a murderous human-like beast or spirit who is often corrupted by greed or gluttony. The Wendigo was once human, though could never be mistaken for one now. The Wendigo comes from Algonquian Native American folklore and says that long ago near the Great Lakes area in the dead of winter, certain few men of a hunting party, unable to find food, succumbed to their hunger and began to prey on their fellow huntsmen. It is said that as expert hunters, they lured their companions into elaborate traps with a false claim of food and warmth. A fleeting respite from the brutal cold and fell winds of the unforgiving north. Those unrelenting winds and near-constant snow provided the perfect opportunity for ambush, as the cries and subsequent noises of the butchering and devouring of their friends would be muffled and carried off unheard. Born away forevermore by the frigid gale, the sin, however, would remain, a dark stain on their tormented souls. This unforgivable act of murdering and consuming their fellow man condemned their souls to eternally wander, never to be accepted by the ancient spirits. It is said that this eternal damnation was too much for the lost souls and that they became twisted and deformed, demented and grotesque, and obsessed with once again devouring the flesh of man. They searched and searched until they found and inhabited once again their old bodies, now decayed and rotting. The unnatural transformation that their souls experienced bled over to their bodies and distorted them as well. Bones elongated, stretching and tearing the skin. Horns and claws formed as the creatures once again took up the mantle of Hunter. Legend says that so evil is the Wendigo that the very ground it walks upon is cursed. It withers and dies immediately upon being trodden by the beast. So cursed is this creature that to even happen upon it by chance, even to see it and live, one spirit would forever be stained, the mind would shatter and would never be the same. One of the most returned to stories in Wendigo lore is that of a Cree trapper called Swift Runner. Swift Runner was a guide for the Northwest Mounted Police and traded his furs with the Hudson's Bay Company. He was a tall, strong man and very good at his job. He was well liked and well educated. He was married with six children and it was said he adored them dearly. In 1878, Swift Runner and his family, under extreme duress due to the freezing blizzard-like conditions and lack of food, which was quickly leading to starvation, faced tragedy when their oldest boy succumbed to the toll that the cold and the lack of food was having on him, and he died. Swift Runner then, just 25 miles from the Hudson's Bay Company trading post, slaughtered his wife and remaining five children, butchering them and consuming their flesh in a stew that he kept throughout the winter. Post-thaw, Swift Runner arrived at the trading post without his family. Suspicions were immediate 
and made all the more substantial when he did not offer any explanation as to their whereabouts. Worried for their daughter and grandchildren, Swift Runner's in-laws pleaded with the Northwest Mounted Police to investigate. Reluctantly, Swift Runner led officials back to his winter cabin and to a shallow grave where his oldest son was buried. He explained that his son had died of starvation, and the Mounted Police were satisfied enough with that explanation to move on. That is until a sergeant stumbled upon a human skull. Swift Runner tried to belay guilt and say that he hadn't any idea of whose skull it was, but the gruesome discovery of human bones, innards, and skins strewn about the area soon had him confessing to the murders and to cannibalism. The detail with which he described the crimes was far too vivid for a show like this, but suffice it to say, he had very intimate knowledge of what happened. He states that throughout the winter and snowstorms, his dreams became tormented by a windigo. It would call to him while he slept and give him visions of the deaths of his family. Soon the visions haunted him even during the daytime hours, and he surrendered to his madness and became Wendigo, killing first his wife, then forcing his second oldest to kill the infant as he was busy with the middle child. He murdered the second oldest last, as it had taken the boy some time to kill the baby. Swift Runner then skinned and butchered the bodies and lived off their flesh until the thaw. A disgusted and appalled group of soldiers escorted Swift Runner to Fort Saskatchewan, where he was tried and hanged for his crimes, but not before he was able to escape long enough to murder and consume his mother-in-law, who he said at his hanging was rather tougher than the others. Another oft-visited story of Wendigo is that of Jack Fiddler, an OG Cree medicine man and chief. Fiddler was best known for being a Wendigo hunter, having 14 Wendigo kills under his belt during the course of his life. These Wendigo were either evil spirits sent by a rival enemy shaman or members of his own tribe who had given in to some base desire for human flesh. In either case, it was Fiddler's duty to react quickly and without mercy, killing the creatures before they could harm others. He was even forced to kill his own brother, Peter Flett, after he had turned Wendigo during a particularly difficult season of famine. The legend of Wendigo was well known throughout the tribes, missionaries, and traders of the area, and dealing swiftly with them was a necessity. There are numerous reports of people turning Wendigo and eating human flesh within the Hudson's Bay Company records. In 1907, after a successful Wendigo hunt, Jack and Joseph, another of his brothers, were arrested for murder. It was later discovered that they had ingested the flesh of their victims after turning Wendigo. Jack committed suicide before his trial, but Joseph was tried, convicted, and sentenced to life in prison. Throughout the 1800s and into the 1920s, Wendigo cases were almost commonplace across the northern states and southeastern areas of Canada. But these became more and more likely to be cases of Wendigo psychosis rather than actual Wendigo activity. Now, these cases might sound more like a possession or mental breakdown or insanity. And that's because, more than likely, that's exactly what they were. 
As these cases were studied and because of the lore of Wendigo so common in the area, it was widely accepted that this, indeed, was Wendigo possession. The Wendigo is known to be able to sicken the mine and draw it into a weakened and fragile state until it is no longer able to ward off possession. From there, it is a simple matter of the soul being twisted and warped by the pure evil of the creature and the victim would become Wendigo themselves. As more and more cases began to emerge and less and less actual physical sightings of Wendigo were reported, a new, more medical train of thought was developed. Wendigo Psychosis Wendigo Psychosis is the undeniable urge to consume human flesh even when alternate food sources are available. The Jesuit Relations, a journal French missionaries kept and later published, reported this upon being asked to investigate a possible Wendigo possession. What caused us greater concern was the news that met us upon entering the lake, namely that the men deputed by our conductor for the purpose of summoning the nations to the North Sea and assigning them a rendezvous, where they were to await our coming, had met their death the previous winter in a very strange manner. Those poor men, according to the report given us, were seized with an ailment unknown to us, but not very unusual among the people we were seeking. They were afflicted with neither lunacy, hypochondria, or frenzy, but have a combination of all these species of diseases, which affects their imaginations and causes them a more than canine hunger. This makes them so ravenous for human flesh that they pounce upon women, children, and even upon men like veritable werewolves and devour them voraciously without being able to appease or glut their appetite. Ever seeking fresh prey, the more greedy, the more they eat. This ailment attacked our deputy, and as death is the sole remedy among those people for checking such acts of murder, they were slain in order to stay the course of their madness. The International Statistical Classification of Diseases and Related Health Problems details Wendigo psychosis this way. Rare historic accounts of cannibalistic obsession Symptoms included depression, homicidal or suicidal thoughts, and a delusional, compulsive wish to eat human flesh. Some controversial new studies questioned the syndrome's legitimacy, claiming cases were actually a product of hostile accusations invented to justify the victim's ostracism or execution. Another entry in the Jesuit Relations details what is widely believed to be the first written account of Wendigo activity. It reads, This devilish woman, added that the Wendigo had eaten some Adaga Mugukin. These are the tribes that live north of the river that is called Three Rivers, and that he would eat a great many more of them if he were not called elsewhere, but that Achen, sort of a werewolf, would come in his place to devour them, even up to the French fort, that he would slaughter the French themselves. Wendigo psychosis eventually eclipsed the actual legend of the Wendigo, even becoming a valid defense in court, staying the execution of numerous criminals who would claim such a disorder, though it is not much of a defense today. So where does this leave us? Is one of the most well-known urban legends ever nothing more than a cannibalistic mental illness? No, but our understanding of the Wendigo is a bit warped by modern media's take on the creature and the natural order of things being lost and forgotten. 
Much like the werewolf or the vampire, the Wendigo of legend is an alpha. There only ever were a handful of actual Wendigo beasts. Those wayward hunters committed the ultimate sin, murdering and devouring their fellow tribesmen. Do you remember the hunters we talked about in the beginning? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Those were the alphas. Those were the only ever true Wendigo ever in existence. That's what? it. That's it. It is not known how many men turned that fateful winter, but according to legend, it was a certain few. These certain few are the Wendigo Alphas. That's it. The true beasts of legend. The physical incarnation of pure evil. 15 foot tall, skin stretched and torn, horned and clawed. Those are the original sinners. Those are the certain few Alphas. Emaciated and forever hungry, this ravenous hunter of men still haunts the northern forests of the U.S. and the southeastern borders of Canada. It is cursed to do so for all eternity, as neither heaven nor hell will accept it. It is damned to devour human flesh. Its insatiable desire drives it ever onward, killing and eating. From those creatures came the murderous and cannibalistic stories that we are most familiar with and that are most closely associated with the term Wendigo. Turning Wendigo refers to Wendigo psychosis and is, as we know now, a mental illness obsessing on consuming human flesh. These alpha Wendigo have extremely long hibernation habits and rarely emerge from the depths of their caves except to feed. The likelihood of you ever encountering a true Wendigo is so remote, and your survival is even more remote, or would be, if not for the fact that you happen to be listening to Icker and Ink right at this very moment. I would never send our listeners away unequipped, ill-prepared to face such a creature. Now let me preface this by saying that if you encounter a person eating another person, walk away. No, don't walk away, run away. Just leave, man. Call the police. Do not get eaten. That's some messed up stuff that you are not equipped to deal with. So just don't. Run. That being said, if you happen to come across a Wendigo of legend, an alpha Wendigo, one of the few, you're going to need to know how to kill it. Here's what we know. They are intelligent. They are incredible hunters. Hard to kill during the day, near impossible to kill at night. So if you are hunting one, do it during the day. They have supernatural and superhuman powers, including the ability to mimic voices and sounds, superhuman speed, strength, agility, senses, and stamina. They are immortal and invulnerable to human weapons. As Dean Winchester, Chief Demon Slayer, also my wife's crush, once so eloquently put it, guns are useless and so are knives. Basically, we gotta torch this sucker. Right you are, Dean. Fire is one of only two ways to kill a Wendigo. The other is silver. A silver blade or stake. Iron, steel, and even some protective circles can slow the Wendigo down but will not kill it. Native hunters would often use sheer numbers to overwhelm the beasts. Armed with silver daggers and axes, they would set traps and lay wait for the creature. The wail of a lone baby in the middle of a forest would be unignorable to a creature such as this, and so it would come. The hunters would strike quickly and ruthlessly, oftentimes 10 to 20 men at a time. 
But even in those numbers, the ambushes would often end in disaster as the Wendigo could easily go toe to toe with 20 men. It wasn't until the hunters learned through trial and error and much loss to deploy pitch and fiery arrows when they launched their attacks. Then they came out victorious. But as we previously discussed, the mighty Wendigo is immortal. To truly vanquish the beast, its heart must be cut from its body and burned to ash. Then and only then will you know that the beast will not return. We really hope that you enjoyed this episode of Icar and Ink Meeting Monsters. Thank you all so much for joining us. I've been Chelsea. I have been Hot Micah. This has been Icar and Ink, and you've been a beautiful audience. Good night. Good night.